This is Song. And this is Sarah. This is Epping Ethical, where we try to make sense of all the choices facing consumers every day. Welcome back to Epping Ethical. Today, we are going to have kind of a more personal conversation about what it means to be a a thoughtful consumer, um, let alone an ethical or impactful one. Um, because it's, it's a really challenging thing to actually do and actually put into practice. And, um, people like us end up in this weird situation where we've thought about a lot of these things. We understand supply chains. We understand a lot of these risks. And so we end up actually having to make decisions where we know we're not making the right decision or, or we know that there's maybe another decision to, to make. So you're in this place of how do you prevent decision fatigue um, and how do you keep making these decisions or have these ideas that can, one, be sustainable, kind of personally sustainable, and also have a long-term impact? So to have that conversation, we are super lucky to be joined today by um, someone from a different age demographic from us, which Woo-hoo! I'm just going to call out because that is part of why we wanted to have this conversation, because it's one thing to be in your 30s and already a little bit cynical and it's another to find someone who is thinking about things honestly at an age that I at least wasn't at this depth. Um, so with that, Abigail, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah. Uh, hi, my name is Abigail. I'm 19. I am a student at Boston University and an opinion columnist for the Daily Free Press. And I'm also taking a gap year because of the pandemic, so I've been <laughs> doing an internship, uh, policy communications, where I've been working with uh, more social justice issues like uh, voter rights issues. Amazing. I did not know that you were taking a gap year. Um, what, yeah, what brought that decision other than like, obviously you can't be in class in person? <laughs> I mean, a lot of it was that. I think just like, I want the full college experience and I didn't want the risk or even any risk of COVID. And I know, you know, college students and the college culture in general tends to lean towards, um, uh, I wouldn't say carelessness, but also, yeah, carelessness. Um, (laughs) Risky behavior and and partying. And I also thought it was just beneficial to take a gap year um, and reevaluate where I stand on like what I'm interested in doing. Totally. And you know, even though, you know, as Sarah mentioned, we're of a def- different age demographic, I don't think that that like the 2020 gap year, it feels like a pretty universal you know, <laughs> thing at this moment. So, <laughs> yeah, I would say we practically did that. I mean, not really. We just accidentally graduated in the middle of a pandemic and then tried <laughs> to figure out what we were doing with our lives. <laughs> I can't even imagine graduating during a pandemic. I feel like that's it's really hard. <laughs> would not recommend. <laughs> yeah, would not recommend. But also, I mean, I feel like there have been really, really tough moments, but also some silver linings. And um, I think the thing that sort of made or break, you know, broke, I guess, um, 2020 and graduating in this year is just like the people that we got to be surrounded by. So um, yeah, we fully support your gap year and hope that you're like, <laughs> thank you. Know, you and having fun and um again thanks for taking the time to be on with us thank you for inviting me i read 
you know, some of your pieces in the Daily Free Press. And I loved, you know, just like your style of writing and all of the different kind of topics that you spoke about. And, you know, there was just so much thought behind it. And I loved, you know, the fact that you had like action items at the end of your, um, at the end of your columns and, and things like that. And I was just wondering, you know, for, you know, all of us to sort of talk about how we approach it, because I think, you know, myself as well, and Sarah, I'm sure with you too, like with so much happening in the world, with so many issues to address, like so many different things, grabbing our attention, grabbing attention of our friends and, you know, um, yeah, with so much happening in the world, like how do we decide what to be vocal about? Like, how do we decide what to take a stand on and how do we, um, a, both make sure that we don't like get fatigue, right? Like issue fatigue, um, but also, right? Like how do we make sure that like our platform is used um, in, in the best way possible for ourselves and for, for others? I mean, I don't really know how to answer that because I'm still trying to find the answer myself. Hmm. Um, I think one of the most important things I've come to terms with is that you know, it's impossible to uh, care about or focus on, I guess, every single cause. Like you can care about broadly all of these rights and issues and really be an advocate for justice in many different areas. But with every single like particular issue, um, circumstances across the world, across the nation even, um, it's, it's just overwhelming, like you said. And I think you just have to prioritize which causes that you want to give most of your energy towards. And those have to be based on your values that you've defined for yourself and not exactly like what's popular or mainstream right now in the media. Um, obviously drawing awareness in the media is good and raising awareness is good, but um, I think hopping onto something without doing the research yourself is also, um, it can be easy to do, um, but it can also just quickly go awry. Yeah, no, I love that point about like choosing and defining your values and letting that drive your decisions on what to support and what to be vocal about um, and not just kind of hopping onto what's trending. Um, I feel like... I've, you know, had a kind of a long-ish career and I've, you know, uh, done everything from like being a community organizer um, around affordable housing and, you know, inclusive development. And um, in my work, I've done a lot of stuff around immigration um, and I've like been vocal about voting rights. And, you know, right now I'm, I'm working on um, addressing inequities in health systems. And I just like, there's just so much, right? There's just so much. And I, I feel like something that, you know, I, and I do definitely get this, get asked this question all the time. And, and my answer has always been, and I think it still is, is just like, just choose something that genuinely speaks to you in that moment. There is no wrong answer. Like you're not selling out or you're not, um, you're not wrong, right, for not like literally supporting every single cause that comes across your desk or that like grabs your eyes um, on social media, right? Like it's okay. Um, just show, show support to your friends and their causes that align with your values, right? Like 
think about the the different ways that like your causes and their causes connect and, and like talk about those things and um, figure out ways that um, that causes intersect because they all do, right? Like you don't have to choose the one or you don't have to choose all of them. Like just, I think, I think it's really important not to, not to burn out or get fatigued and, um, and, and, you know, get immobilized just because you're overwhelmed. So um, yeah, totally agree with the Abigail on that. Yeah, I, I do as well. So what this made me think of, and this is, this is like a bit of a different direction. Um, and, and Song and I have talked about this a lot, so she knows this about me, but like, I've never considered myself an activist, um, only because I think that when it comes to making change, it requires people who are pulling and pushing a lot of different levers. And the lever that I've always been really interested in is like coming in and making institutional change. And I studied environmental policy um, and really environmental management in California over 10 years ago at this point. Um, And something that just so came across to me was this tension between um, the environmental activists in California and their sort of approach to managing forests and the approach of like the the forestry industry, which includes obviously um, both public and private players. And now, 10 plus years later, something we talked about a couple weeks ago, there's just everybody's really come around to a different way of thinking, right? Um, Climate change is real. It is a problem. And we need to protect people and their homes and their livelihoods by managing the forest. And we just really need to think about it in a totally different way than we ever have before. Yeah. So it's really changed for me. Um, I think that I might consider myself becoming more of an activist now in, um, in this stage of life. And I think that there's a lot of different reasons for that. But um, just to kind of go back to the question about like, how do you decide? For me, it's always been about like, what do I know something about? So I think that kind of goes back, Abigail, to what you said about you know, you can see an issue and before you sort of speak out, it's good to just sort of educate yourself. And I've always felt really strongly that my best place is really talking about something that like I understand well and saying, here's a lot of different ways to look at it, or here is some information that the public might not know about this issue. Yeah, I completely agree. I was going to say that, I mean, I'm obviously not in the position where I have a career yet, but I'd say like, you know, there because of intersectionality, like there's issues in every single field and every niche that you can find, right? And they all overlap. So if you are really passionate about like fashion, say, or if your job is in management, like you can find ways to be like a feminist in those areas or an environmentalist in those areas. And so it's like you can narrow down your scope through what you're interested in outside of like activism. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I actually think that that is like really underrated. Like what difference can you make in the job that you already have <laughs> or like the work that you're already doing, even if you don't yeah. think of it in like a super change provoking or whatever field. I totally agree. So, I mean, that really just goes into the next question, which is how have your thoughts about being um, an impactful or kind of conscious consumer 
changed over time. And that can be this year, which maybe we'll talk a little bit more about, you know, 2020 specific um, in a little bit. But, but yeah, how, you know, from like your first understanding of, oh, I can like vote with my dollar or the things I buy or consume, um, whether that is media or, um, you know, tangible products can make a different, like how, how have those changed over time? Um, if, if at all? Um, in high school, I'd say the concept was like pretty new to me. I only knew it more as like, I don't want to say this because I really don't support cancel culture and I feel like cancel culture is bad, but in terms of cancel culture, um, where it was like, don't support an artist because they're a bad person, right? Like don't listen to their songs, don't buy their albums, um, don't give them that financial support. And then, you know, coming into college and towards the end of my high school career, um, sort of getting more into sustainability, it was like, oh, there's like ethical production. Um, I think one of my biggest things, <laughs> funnily, was uh, leather because I am a big fan of leather, but it's mm-hmm. obviously not vegan. It's not like cruelty-free. It's not ethical and it's not environmentally friendly. Um, but on my like journey towards, I guess, cutting leather out of my life, I was like looking into vegan leather, which first of all is really expensive still and sometimes more expensive than real leather. And um, I was reading up about these articles that were saying vegan leather was actually more harmful to the environment to produce and was sometimes not ethical with how they like the companies or producers paid the workers. And I was just sitting there like, oh, okay, so neither of these are ethical. What do I do? (laughs) Um, And that's something that I like still struggle with because it kind of feels like things are a bit of a trap, like the illusion of choice in capitalism. Um, (laughs) not, Not to be super cynical at this point, but... Yeah, it does. That's why I feel like the most important thing to focus on is just being conscious yourself and recognizing it and trying your best and doing some research, even if it's just like a surface little Google search, like what's the most ethical brand that other people have done research on, like that know their stuff. Um, I, I am so glad you brought that up because I have thought very similar things and I uh, yeah, we, we talked about food and I'm, I'm now realizing song we've like talked about so much on this podcast, but yeah. like, I'm definitely not a vegan. I'm not a vegetarian. I definitely eat meat. I definitely use leather goods. And, um, I've, I've talked to people who are vegans about kind of why I do that and not, but, but what this reminded me of, and even your conversation. So when I was in college, um, I carried around a Nalgene water bottle and in 2007 to 2011 that wasn't that common like everyone when you would go get lunch would like buy a like Dasani disposable water bottle or like you know one-time use water bottle yeah with their lunch and for me I was like this is just so easy like why would you not like make this decision I was like I don't want to spend two dollars every time I want water like I just want it with me all the time And now that just feels so second nature. Like, yeah, sometimes you buy a water bottle because you don't have something with you. But of course, your first option is is bringing something with you. Um, And I just hadn't thought about that in a long time that like in my mind, that was me being 
like one thinking like oh this is just really simple and i'm also kind of cheap like i don't want to keep buying water but also like that was kind of as far as i thought of like i thought about it very product focused like oh i should just buy the better of whatever right like i should buy toms because they have this like positive social impact view um and i wasn't even digging into like well (laughs) what does it mean for something to be ethically made? And if they don't pay their workers, then that's not necessarily better than some alternative. Yeah. What you brought up about the water bottle, that's something I've been thinking about too, is that it's definitely not an overnight change and you like made it a habit and now it's second nature to you. And all of like our consumer behavior and even activist behavior is like a habit or it can be made into a habit. So like signing up for like notifications or reading like an article a day or listening to a podcast or um you know setting up a monthly donation that paypal actually has that where you um not monthly but where you can like have it remind you every time you buy something oh wow so it's like a consumer and activism so like you're buying something you might not necessarily need like if you're like me and have gotten into shopping over quarantine and then every time you use PayPal because you're too lazy to get out your credit card from your wallet, it'll say, it'll pop up. It'll be like, donate to ACLU. I'll be like, oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really good. Um, I I mean, speaking of the ACLU, so I, you know, before business school, I worked um, at a civil rights organization. And so you can imagine that, like, you know, we very much scrutinized our own and each other's like consumption choices, right? And it's it's interesting um, in light of sort of like, you know, this this new lens. And I feel like there's been a lot of talk around like, well, is there such a thing as an ethical consumer? Like, no, because right, like no ethical consumption under capitalism. But like beyond that, so I remember um, like in our office, for example, like I won't mention the grocery chain, but we um, there was this, there was this grocery chain and there was this like brand of frozen foods that we like to eat in the office. Like it's like this delicious Indian, you know, frozen food. And um, we got wind that like the warehouse workers for this particular brand, um, the immigrant workers in that warehouse were not being um, allowed to organize. And so we like boycotted that brand, right? And, um, and, and, you know, things like that just like gave me a new sort of appreciation for like solidarity. Um, yeah, solidarity with like, with one another, as well as like with the workers that we're supporting and, and whatnot. Um, but then kind of like bringing that into the context of how people, right, like how, how like a there was this wave of um okay like boycott bad brands right like support sustainable brands support brands that are um doing right by their workers um and then there was like the next wave where they were like well actually that doesn't really make a difference like we should do that but i mean but right like give ourselves grace and also like put pressure on the corporations and um fight for policy change and I feel like it's like it's it's all um, it's all sort of like interwoven, and then I feel like the the voices that sort of always get lost, or that um, that I feel like it's a little bit of a shame that isn't talked about more, is the fact that like workers 
on the ground, right? Like have workers and organizers have all, have always been doing this work of pushing for change, right? So it's like, it's not a new thing, right? That, um, that people are becoming aware that being a conscious consumer or an impactful consumer, as we call it on her podcast, um, yeah, like like pushing and fighting on the ground for rights of workers. It's like it's not it's not a new thing, and there have been people who have been doing that, right? And like, how do we kind of like not make it about our consumption, but also like uplift and highlight the work that's being done on the ground um, by people who like are, t- are you know being courageous and and actually like boycotting at their place of work, right? Yeah, I think that's just like something that I had been thinking about this this year in particular, people have started talking about what it really means to be uh, an ethical consumer. I kind of wonder, or so something that I've been thinking a lot recently because I was re-watching parts of The Crown with my mom, um, and I actually talk about this a lot with work at work because this is how our organization started, but was like divestment from apartheid South Africa. And I think that if we were to talk to like people who are probably like Abigail, your parents age, if they were kind of activists in college, they knew a lot about divestment from apartheid South Africa. Cause like that was what um, people were really focusing on. And there are these moments in the crown where you see Queen Elizabeth sort of grappling with like, who do you listen to your prime minister or the leaders of all of these African nations and just like the whole, like all of the Commonwealth countries saying this is really important to us. And like, she has um, this like conversation back and forth with the prime minister about the prime minister saying like, we can't have these like negative economic impacts or the black South Africans aren't going to have like, like there's not going to be a country left, right? Like it's going to be so devastating. They won't have a country left. And Queen Elizabeth's like, well, that's what they want. Um, And I think that's kind of like what you just said, Song, like the people who are on the ground know the risks that they're taking and they're saying, no, like we're willing to take the economic hardship because this change is really important to us. And it just sort of reminded me that like it actually isn't all about us like consumers sitting here in the U.S. in the U.S. or elsewhere thinking like this is good or this is not. It's like looking down and saying like, wow, there's a huge problem with like x um sector or whatever in like this country and i want to pay attention to all the things that are coming out of it instead of saying like you know i bought the better jeans because they're like environmentally sustainable and made in the u.s like just buying stuff that's u.s made which is like totally great like not about like not that that's a bad thing to do but like that doesn't fix the working conditions of like Bangladeshi people who are working in clothing manufacturing industry, right? It kind of like avoids it. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think also one of the problems of just like, you have to recognize your privilege and also like come to terms with um, the intersection of like ethics and reality. Um, Mm -hmm. And just like, that's also like where you have to care about a problem, but also act on it and not just like sort of, skirt around it (laughs) um without really addressing it and one of the things I thought about when you um song were talking about uh the people on the ground and the people actually boycotting at their place of work I was just thinking about the uh recent um protests in India um 
I don't know if you guys have read up on it. I have only really read like an article or two about it, but uh, they're protesting like new laws about like private companies. The farmers are, um, mm. and about just like and they India supplies like a lot of our food too. So it's just um, it's been ongoing, and I've been thinking about that as well. So um, I don't really have anything new to add on that. Just wanted to bring it up. Yeah, I I totally agree. It's like really important to pay attention to. And I think like the first few days it was getting only some coverage and I've been really excited to see like the scale of coverage that they're getting. Um and I actually think that like the it is it's very much like an India specific problem, right? Because it's like a very specific policy, but I actually think that it's bringing a lot of attention globally to like you said, where we get our food, right? Like these are not this is not exclusive to India. Like this is a global supply chain. Yeah. Um this is a piece of the global supply chain. And also, you know, smallholder farmers all over the world, whatever you call small sort of but like individual farmers like truly do provide food for the whole world and, you know, pushing those people out and like bringing corporates in, you know, even in the U.S., right? Like we've seen the problems that that has many generations down the road. And so it's been really remarkable to see like the strength of those protests to say like, nope, like you, we're not going to, like you have to pay attention to us smallholder farmers and Mm -hmm. like you can't make policies that punish us and support um, large corporates instead. Yeah. Um, But one of the problems that I've like run into just thinking about this is like, how can beyond just being like aware, because sometimes that doesn't feel like enough. Like, what can I do? What can I do? You know, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you guys have an answer or (laughs) any thoughts on that. But (laughs) Um, you can you too could have a career in something that will make you burn out and decide to go to business school 10 years later. (laughs) I mean, that's one option. (laughs) I mean, but that's the question. And I was actually like, I was going to bring this up at the beginning when we were talking about um, like, like what to be vocal about. I feel like, especially this year, especially, and you know, in the next bit of our conversation would love to jump into 2020 in particular, but it's like it's like everyone is supposed to be a vocal activist, right? Like if you have even a, just like a basic social media account with friends, if you don't post about things, what are you doing, right? Like it really feels, at least to me, that like that that trend has come and stayed, that like you are expected to like speak up about things. And I don't think that's bad. Yeah. But I do think that it definitely disregards the reality that people who are working in um, like international aid, conflict, um, a lot of like do- domestic work activists, right? The work that Song did working in human rights law, um, human rights and labor law, like all of these people are like chronically burned out. It is like proven in so many studies. And a lot of people that go into this work are like very driven and stubborn, um, potentially like not even receptive to the option of mental health services for themselves. <laughs> And so, so you like, and I, and I feel like this, this, like everyone should be an activist doesn't actually acknowledge how, how burned out you can get doing that. Right. And how it like, I think it just brings back to the beginning of the conversation. If you don't identify like what your values are and the thing that like, you're going to make a change doing, you're just going to burn yourself out and you might still burn yourself out, 
but you right. can't change everything. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think either way, it's just very easy to bring yourself out. Um, even just like reading about a whole of the issues that are ongoing, because it's like, it's a lot to intake all of that negativity and then still feel hopeful and still feel like you can do something about it. And it's even harder to actually take action and then see like for yourself, the reality. Right. Um, and I mean, I'm definitely, I am in awe of everybody who is on the ground doing all of that hard work. Um, I will say with the social media activism, that's been like really prominent, especially in, I feel like my circles and um, younger generations. I, it would be hypocritical, hypocritical of me to say that it's um, not a good thing because I definitely, you know, repost a lot of the same info posts and just to raise awareness. But I mean, beyond raising awareness, there's a lot of other things that you can do like phone banking. That's like, you know, doesn't require you to go out because it's remote and um, like attending protests, which I personally was not able to do um, this summer while they were really big and ongoing. And like, working with local nonprofit organizations, um, writing articles. I, I mean, there's just like, depending on what your strengths are, there's a lot of actual things that you could try to do. And that's why I feel like there's a little bit more leniency also with people, because if you have like the conversation shifts, if you're a celebrity or a public figure, but I feel like if you just have a Instagram and you use it a bit, with your friends there's a little leniency when it comes to are you posting about all of these issues are you because it's like redundant sometimes when I'm posting I'm like well I feel like my circle mainly is aware of all these issues as well or posting about it themselves um so it's like I feel like what you do in the real world does matter a little bit more than raising awareness by reposting on social media and I think, I mean, um, to your point, right, like posting on social media is neither like the thing that you have to do or the thing that you shouldn't do. It's just like whatever you are comfortable with and whatever you believe your platform to be. And um, Sarah, to your point about how like, you know, burnout is so real and I literally like left my field of work and, and like ran away to business school um, because of the like the structures that were not in place to make sure that activists were not burning out on the ground right and so um i literally like took um about a month and a half to like not read the news for um when i first started school because i was like i cannot take any more and i'm just gonna like turn turn off from from all of that right and so um that is what you want to avoid right like you don't want to go there and so how do you think, how do you, right, like, think about your own impact in a sustainable way, I feel like is such an important conversation that um, isn't had enough. And um, I would say, like, just to add one more to all of the the great kind of like practical things that you both threw out there, um, I feel like just genuine personal conversations, like over the dinner table, or like over happy hour at Zoom, or, you know, on Zoom or whatever is is severely underrated even in this time, right? Like I've found that, you know, 
conversations like over a drink um, with people who disagree with me on pretty fundamental things sometimes. Um, I don't know that we've like changed each other's minds at all, but like I feel like we've opened the door to, to um, yeah, a, a place where dialogue can happen and where we can start to even think about how to talk about the things that we care about to someone who doesn't agree, right? So um, it's it's kind of a long game, right? And it's it's not something where you're, you know, expecting to like change the world. And it sounds cheesy to say it's sometimes just about changing hearts, like one person at a time. But like, I feel like that's really underrated these days. Um, and, you know, it's really hard to seek out people who are different from you. But, you know, I think that I was surprised and I, I bet, you know, listeners will be surprised at how many people in our networks um, actually, you know, sometimes hold different uh, opinions on on things than we do, um, and so rather than shutting down, I, I um, yeah, I'm challenging myself, and and I challenge you all to to yeah have some hard conversations and see where it can take you because um, yeah, it can be actually fun. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely agree, uh, but I also would like to add that's only when both of you are like willing to listen and keep an open mind and be respectful. Um, because it is also a bit frustrating and probably not good for either of you if uh, if you're just kind of talking to a wall. Yeah, <laughs> right. Going yeah. into the conversation with like talk less, listen more attitude for sure. Yeah. Um, the one thing that I would add, because that's I, I really loved how you put that song Um so one thing I would recommend if you are interested in this space or have a background, go to business school. You're going to meet a lot of people who think very differently than you. Um, but it, it just reminded me, and I think this is just like a good example. I think most of the conversations that have been happening this year just feel so big. And there's like one side or the other. There may or may not be nuance either in reality or the conversation. But the, that's not all the policies, right? That's not all the thoughts. That's not all the opinions. And I got into this conversation um, at the like on-campus bar, like the second week of business school with a couple people who I barely knew, right? Like we had just met, but it was people who I'd spent quite a bit of time with um, in those first couple weeks. And the conversation was about um, like housing policy and gentrification and I was, to that point, kind of shocked at how differently the people I was talking to thought about this than I did. Um, but it was just a really great opportunity where it wasn't, it didn't feel as charged um, as maybe some of the other conversations, but it was really just sort of, you know, opening the eyes of these, you know, new friends that became really good friends to how um, conflicting say, human rights and capitalism can be, right? even here in the U.S., especially in our major cities. Um, and I think it was just a really good reminder. And I like to think back to that of like, it wasn't hard. And, and those people didn't think we were about to have like as serious of a conversation, almost debate as we did. Um, yeah. But it also, like I said, it wasn't like the big policy conversation of the day where people may have already felt like they cut, you know, came down on one side or the other based on um, kind of how they self-identified. 
totally agree on the the business school bit. And I also have stories of, um, you know, kind of walking into conversations that I wasn't expecting to, to walk into, um, you know, some off the top of my head being like, uh, I don't know, immigration and how the concept of anchor babies is not a real thing, actually, about women and about sexual assault um, and how like that is something that should be considered as we are, you know, thinking about the people who will be leading our country and our courts. And um, I, you know, went into those, I, I, I would honestly say, you know, I, I walked into those conversations like kind of unknowingly, unexpectedly. Um, and, you know, my opinion about the things that I like care a lot about, and I feel like I have, you know, some, like some level of knowledge and, and um, expertise on, um, like my, my mind and opinion wasn't changed on that at all, but um, it definitely gave me an insight into um, what the other side thought. And without knowing that, like you really cannot make um, compelling arguments to actually try to push things forward unless you know um, what the what the misconceptions or what the miscommunications out there are, right? And so, um, yeah, business school <laughs> was definitely, um, yeah, a really cool kind of a social experiment place um, for me on that front, definitely. <laughs> It does sound it does sound interesting. Um, probably not my cup of tea, but <laughs> um, I mean, I agree. I really agree with like um, knowing what the other side thinks and knowing like exactly what they what their arguments are. Right. Um, sort of like know thy enemy. <laughs> um, but I I would say back to the dinner table conversations. Uh, I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but. I think the most difficult conversations that I've had that I'm still trying to figure out how to have is conversations with my parents um, about issues that really resonate with me. And Mm -hmm. like when the Black Lives Matter movement in like our media was at its peak in the -hmm. summer, um, there was a lot of like talk to your parents about how to be anti-racist and what that means and Mm -hmm. um, about the, you know, internal prejudices that they might carry Um, especially coming from an Asian American community. Um, And it was just, I mean, it's hard to have because you are so close to them and it's a personal conversation as well when it comes to issues like, oh, like LGBTQ or mental health issues or you just want them to understand and you want them to feel the same way as you do, right? Because you're very invested in that conversation so it can escalate very quickly and I've just had to pull back a lot of times and um, I haven't been able to have as productive of conversations as I want to because um, I just get kind of like upset. Um, I actually, I have a very specific recommendation for this and it's not because of my expertise in this at all, but um one of my favorite podcasts, Pantsuit Politics, that I've been pretty loyally listening to now for almost four years. Um, the women who host it also wrote a book. And um, each podcast wouldn't necessarily go into this, but the book definitely does. It's very much about 
like having nuanced conversations with people who disagree with you or for some reason, right, like don't automatically agree with you, um, especially around politics. And the other thing that I would add, and Song, I don't know if you have any other thoughts on this. I think that there's also something that just like these conversations change with age, right? Like um, I, you know, I still am like 31 and don't even fully think of myself as like a full grown adult, but obviously Mm -hmm. I am. Um, but I do think with age and I think that I very much have been inspired by the women from Pantsu Politics, like mm-hmm. you, you set boundaries, you can like state your opinion and it's okay to disagree with people. And the older you get, the more okay that is in general, let alone with people who are really close to you, like family members. Yeah. Yeah. Family is hard. And, um, I also love pantsuit politics, and so I'm glad you threw that recommendation out there. And and Abigail, I mean, I that right, like Asian American parents are super hard, and this is a whole nother conversation. And I, I feel like at some point, I sh- you know, I should do something about this because, or like we should have an episode or a half episode, or I should just do something because I feel like I reference like the model minority and. Um, what it means to be Asian American and what it means to be an Asian American activist, like what it means to be, um, right, like in solidarity with other communities. I will say for, especially for parents who are immigrants, right, like it, it's like a twofold thing that I just want to mention, like they have, they bring with them um, not just like, you know, biases and also, when they came to the States, right, they've gone through a pretty traumatic experience of, of relocating. And I think because we haven't experienced that, in some ways, we are a lot more privileged than they were, right? Because we didn't have to go through that. And we get to be um, in a space where we can stand in solidarity a lot more easily and we can empathize um, more easily and, and, and whatnot. But I, I feel like, A, we have to remember the kinds of traumas that they've experienced in their own lives and, and B, yeah, I I think that once we're able to like connect with them about their trauma, we're able to then maybe bring into the conversation how, um, how others experiences are maybe not so different from the, the trauma that they've experienced in the past. Thank you for listening to Ething Ethical. In case you missed our post on Instagram at the beginning of January, we want to highlight our listeners and find out more about why you listen to Effing Ethical. If you're interested in sharing your story with our community, please email us at hello at songandsarah.com or send us a DM on Instagram. And we would love for you to share what it is you love about this podcast through an Instagram post or Apple podcast review so that more aspirational ethical consumers out there can find us.